Welcome, everyone, to CFRC 101.9 FM. I am here today with Dr. Ramesh Zacharias. Oh, hi. Hi, Julie. Well, welcome to the show. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Perfect. First of all, Joel, thank you for inviting me to join your program. Um, my name is Ramesh Zacharias. I'm the President and CEO of the Chronic Pain Center of Excellence for Canadian Veterans. I'm also the Medical Director at the Center of Excellence and the Medical Director of the Michael D. DeGroote Pain Clinic at Hamilton Health Sciences. That's a very big resume there. Lots of lots of experience, and you can tell how passionate you are about the topics that you revolve around. I was watching a few weeks ago the Canadian Institute for Military and Veteran Health Research, or SIMVER, held a symposium about chronic pain, and you had a presentation in that. Do you want to uh, just let our listeners know a little bit about that, some of the things you spoke about? Sure. Um the uh, Chronic Clean Center of Excellence was awarded to Hamilton Health Sciences and McMaster University on July 29, 2019. Uh, the reason we were awarded the contract is because of the longstanding history of McMaster University and evidence-based care. And the pain clinic where I'm currently the medical director has been treating veterans for over 30 years. And then five years ago, my colleague, uh, Dr. Norm Buckley, was awarded the SPORE grant to set up a chronic research network across Canada. And I personally have been uh, interacting with the uh, Department of Defense uh, going back to 1994 and have been treating veterans with chronic pain since 2012. And currently, 40% of my clinical practice is looking after veterans with chronic pain. Yeah, so a large, a very large majority, or I guess 40% of the patients that you treat are veterans. And how would you say that those veterans uh, with chronic pain, what are some of the unique challenges faced by them, and how is that center helping them out through that? Veterans Affairs Canada um, did a study looking at 60,000 veterans that uh, going back to 1999 to 2015, it was called a life after-service study where they surveyed veterans to find out a variety of health conditions. And what they came to realize was that 40% of veterans have chronic pain. And if you look at the general population in Canada, it's about 20%. So veterans have twice the incidence of chronic pain. And if you look even deeper and you look at veterans who have mental health issues, 62% of veterans with mental health issues have chronic pain, and 62, almost 63% of veterans with chronic pain have mental health issues. So one of the unique features of treating veterans as opposed to civilians is they have a much higher incidence of chronic pain, but they also have a much higher incidence of other conditions such as PTSD, sleep problems, mood, depression, and then unfortunately sometimes even substance abuse. So they have a unique set of challenges largely due to the kind of work they do when they're in the military or the service that they do. So while it's more prevalent, the interesting thing is our experience at the Hamilton Health Sciences and the DeGroote Pain Clinic is when you get them into programs like what we what we run, the success among veterans 
is better than success among civilians. Wow. So get just by going to the center, it improves their odds of making recoveries or making some advancement in their, their chronic pain or mental health. That's that's amazing. I think in part because um, over the years, the approach to chronic pain has changed. In the 70s and 60s and maybe early 80s, the way pain was treated was either with uh, procedures such as surgery or injections or medications. And what we have come to realize is that the best approach to treating, treating chronic pain is what's called a biopsychosocial model, where you deal with the biology, whether it's the injections, the psychology, because your brain has a tremendous impact on perception of pain, responses to pain. And the social aspect is you can improve their overall function. So our model is best described as having three parts, biological, psychological, and social aspects. And that success has been validated in a a study that was done by the International Association of Study of Pain, looked at 45 countries around the world, and the best pain programs have these components to it, a biological, psychological, as well as a medical component to it. So, uh, so a big shift between the, you know, injections and, and surgery changed into more of a, more of a psychological and social aspect, but actually treating the patient rather than for the physical things that you see, uh, and rather psychological and mind focused rather than, you know, focusing solely on, you know, cutting somebody open and seeing what's, what's wrong with them. You actually communicate with them and see what's actually wrong with them, which is a really great approach. It's, it goes away from, frankly, doing things to pay, uh, patients, but actually making them part of all the decisions that are made. And you create a person-centered model that is basically a 360. One of the other things that's happened over the past few years is they've come to realize what was previously referred to as complementary treatment modalities. They're now becoming much more integrated modalities. So things like chiropractor, massage, acupuncture, tai chi, yoga, pool therapy that nobody would have talked about in the 70s or not too many people would have talked about in the 70s and 80s is now not just mainstream, it's fully integrated. And the best programs are the ones that have both traditional models, but what would be considered complementary integrated models as well. And that's what we have in in Hamilton. And that's what is in existence in a lot of the clinics across the country. Yeah, with that uh, integrated model, it's also removing a lot of stigma, I would say, in the, he- in the health aspect of things with, you know, not just sticking to that traditional, someone comes in and tells you what's wrong and you diagnose them, you actually communicate with them and uh, figure out what's wrong and offer these new things that as you said, in the 70s and 80s, no one would have even thought about uh, offering, but now you're actually diving into a new realm of possibilities for healthcare and health health research. We ran a company and we had a community, we had about 10 community-based clinics, uh, nine in Ontario, one in Nova Scotia. And in the clinic I worked in, in Saga, we had two chiropractors, a naturopath, physician, we had a whole variety of people. All of those would add value in 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 treating them so and even in the uh, clinic that uh, I work in Hamilton 
some of the best uh, value that patients get out of our program is our physiotherapist, would be our social worker who deals with the challenges not just of the patient, but brings it into the family realm. Pain is never just the problem of the individual. It impacts their spouse and their children, their social setting. And during the similar conference, you heard the voice of one of the veterans that I looked after in Hamilton last year. And in that, she talks about how she basically found her voice that had pretty well gone due to the isolation from her chronic pain. Yeah, it's amazing to hear just the, the success stories out of that, being able to approach it with an, you know, an interdisciplinary approach rather than just a solo, you know, one doctor coming in and trying to assess a patient without a, as much as a vast knowledge as it could be. Uh, with uh, all these different, you know, clinicians or, um, you know, physiotherapists, chiropractics, um, they, everyone can work together for the common good rather than having their own single disciplines. Absolutely, because I think the challenge is big enough. The greatest benefit is if you draw upon a variety of professionals. I can tell you in the program, quite often they will say at the end of it, they learned a lot from yoga and tai chi. And you go, wow. Um, I'm the physician, um, but the biggest benefit you got was physiotherapist, yoga, and tai chi. I'm okay with that. At the end of the day, the goal is to improve overall function for them, and if that's how they get it, and those are skills they can take with them everywhere. You can do tai chi and yoga in your house. You don't need to go to a facility. You don't need a help professional to supervise you. They can teach you those skills. And then you can go with it, run with it. So it's it's a big it's a big change with this ability to have a treatment at your home through, as you said, Tai Chi and yoga, being able to not have to drive for an hour to come into a facility to get treatment. And it's also a big shift with COVID, you said, with uh being able to do these appointments and treatments virtually uh do you right. how has that changed the center of excellence uh for the better yeah so the, the so we're clear the center of excellence is our main need is primarily research and for me while research is is critical as and is important what's probably equally important is that people get care uh and so what we have done at the Center of Excellence is, is try to identify a national network of clinics that can provide veterans care closer to the home. And as I mentioned at the start, I'm not only at the Center of Excellence, but I'm also the medical director of the pain clinic at Hamilton Health Sciences. So this uh, clinic at uh, Hamilton Health Sciences was started in the mid-70s. And up until... 2020, June of 2020. So you can imagine how many years that is. Almost 40 plus years, we never treated anybody virtually in our pain program. They were always treated in person in our facilities in Hamilton. What happened when COVID occurred, we had to, we did not have the ability anymore to have treat those chronic pain patients. So unfortunately, the pain was still there. They just didn't have the ability to come in. So we took 
six weeks to design, take our program that was in person and now design it that it could be delivered virtually. This was the same challenge for all the clinics across this country. And so we developed a program that we started in June, which has probably 90% of what we would do in person, we now do it virtually. And some set of patients have really liked it. Uh, some say, we're, we're gonna wait until you're gonna do the program in person. So during our webinar that we have scheduled uh, for uh, later in November and December, we will share with everybody the results of our virtual program that's being done in some of the clinics in Hamilton, in uh, Montreal, as well as in British Columbia. Speaking about the webinar, it's starting later this month. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about that, uh, expand on it a little bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the mandates or one of the pillars of what we're trying to do in the Center of Excellence is is education, education that will be not only directed to veterans and their families, but also to the Veterans Affairs case managers who are working with the veterans to help them access care, and also clinicians who are treating patients, whether they're civilians or veterans. So education is one of our pillars of the organization. So we did a webinar in June. We had between four and 500 people attended. The webinar that we are doing for four successive Wednesdays, uh, starting 18th of November, 25th of November, 2nd of December, and 9th, but for the first time, we're actually collaborating with the U.S. Veterans Affairs. The U.S. have 20 million veterans that they look after. We have 700,000. So one of the things we want to learn at the Center of Excellence is from other people. How are they treating their veterans? And what can we learn so it would benefit our Canadian veterans? So all the talks, the first half hour is an American from Veterans Affairs at Department of Defense presenting. The second half is a Canadian, and it's from 12 to 1, and um, I can give you the URL for anybody if they want to log in, please register. And, you know, we have topics of, we hope, relevance to not just veterans, but also to clinicians as well and the public at large. It sounds like a very neat opportunity for a lot of people that, whether it's somebody that knows a lot about chronic pain and a lot of research in the with veterans or just somebody that has this uh, conversation has piqued their interest, they can tune in and just listen to it because it's a very big conversation that needs to be had around this topic, but it's not a topic that's spoken a lot about. I think if you say that 20% of the Canadian population has pain, uh, a number of your listeners would have chronic pain. If, they, if they're university students, it might be their parents might be their grandparents. So it's unusual for any of your listeners not to have within two to four to six degrees of them somebody who suffers from chronic pain. So it's it's beneficial for the public at large, but the focus has been how can we improve overall treatment for pain? So I'll give you one of the eight topics that is going to be presented is the evidence for cannabis. And we will talk about what is the evidence for cannabis in chronic pain, in uh, sleep, in mental health issues? So uh, it's not restricted just for vets. 
And, you know, I have looked after veterans who are in their 20s. You always think of veterans being older, but they're vets in their 20s because of the injuries they suffered. And I have looked after vets in their 70s. So uh, it would be good for your listeners, whether they have chronic pain or not, to be able to take advantage of this free education that they can get from 12 to 1. Yeah, so it's a great opportunity because uh, a lot of people might not understand how much chronic pain can affect any individual. And uh, just as you said, it's it's people ranging from their you know their early 20s all the way up to their 70s. It's no, it's not specific golden number that it only affects. It affects everyone around us. We find out today that a whole variety of conditions has no respect for your economic status, no respect for uh, your age. So if you look at something like COVID, it, while it might affect the elderly more, it doesn't completely spare the people in their 20s and 30s or even younger. So why would you not want to have education that would help you cope with your own challenges or with the challenges of your loved ones? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a great opportunity and people should definitely listen in if they, because they'll most likely be affected by it themselves or by someone else sometime in their life. For sure. Yeah. I think um, I, I might have mentioned in my talk, but I usually will mention in my talk how I, um, my whole perspective of treating veterans changed a few years ago. And okay. uh, as is often the case with uh, my civilian patients and most patients who come in with chronic pain, you always ask them about um, what sort of work you do. Because uh, if somebody's having construction work and they have a lot of back problems, it, it helps knowing what their job is. Well, if somebody is doing repetitive uh, movements in their arms as to why they're having trouble with their shoulders or their wrists or their elbows. So I would always ask all of my patients, what sort of work do you do? And I had a veteran about three to four years ago. I asked him, so when did you work at, uh, I knew he was a veteran, so I asked him, when did you work in the Department of Defense? And he just looked at me, paused for five seconds, and said, doctor, I never worked. I served from this year to that year. I came to realize that for him, it wasn't a job. Maybe to a lot of people who go into the military, it's a job. But to him and to a lot of vets that I've looked after, they didn't see it as a job. They see it as service. So I would say to him, thank you for your service. So now my first comment when I know it's a vet, or it's a first responder, or it's a police officer, I thank them for their service. And then I tell them it's now my time to serve them. And it puts into context what our relationship is going to be. It's one of respect and it's one now of service. So I think that's how I felt these past few years. And I owe that veteran a debt of gratitude that he refocused me to be able to say, thank you for your service, not Thank you for the work you did. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very humbling lesson to learn. Especially, I I read that quote at how you start on that off of your website, and I I absolutely love that quote because it makes so much sense. Because a lot of veterans they don't go for the money, they don't go for that it's work. They they 
they believe it's they're they're being called to do it to defend their country. What's what's interesting is I've looked after some veterans who and they're usually the ones in their late twenties, early teens. And if I'm looking after them it's because they're a veteran, they're no longer in uniform. And to a number of them, uh for years they dreamt of serving. And now they don't have the ability to serve because of an injury or whatever. And invariably it's a physical injury. There's been a sense of loss of purpose that this is what I wanted to do. And now my dream job, what I always want to do is now taken away from me. That's, that's tough. That's really tough. It's, um, to be able to say I'm 28 years old and I'll never do the work I always wanted to do. So part of what we have to do is to try to channel those same goal-oriented commitment to excellence and service into a way that you can improve their pain so they function better. And now you have a different goal. You can still serve, but you'll serve in a different way. It does not, the uniform does not define you. You define the uniform. Yeah, it's a big it's a big shift between you know the the classic not the the intimacy is lacking in a lot of places with with a veteran and a say a, say a health professional to remind them that like the their world isn't over just because they've taken the uniform off is incredibly important. Both places you work, the a very important thing is that you have an intimate approach to tending to veterans. And how has that helped you in aiding your patients? Yeah, I, I, I think I think um, rather than the word intimate, I would say an empathetic approach. Uh, I'm diabetic. I have chronic pain uh, from my diabetes, and there are times in the middle of the night I wake up. You know, but it's like somebody took a hot poker, put it in my ankle, and just ran it up to my knee, out of the blue, out of a dead sleep. It's like it's on fire. And and so I have empathy for people who, you know, this is not what I would have wanted, but this is what the cards I have today. This is not what they would have wanted. This is what their cards are. So just like I want to be have a life where I can function, so do they. So I'm empathetic to their uh, condition, but I'm also fully aware that I'm my job is to just give them tools in their toolbox, ultimately they're going to drive the change, not me. I just have to provide them a whole bunch of options. They can decide which one's going to work for them. And then there's nothing better. I have a, I have a young man who's a veteran who I looked after probably going back five, six years. When I first saw him, he was in a uh, rehab facility because of uh, opioids and cannabis use disorder. And I remember the first meeting I had with him, I was literally 10 minutes late to see him, and he just swore at me that I was 10 minutes late for him. And who do I think I am that I didn't care enough to show up on time? And this was in Guelph, and I was working in Hamilton. I could drive there to see him. I didn't want to get into the traffic. It was bad. I couldn't find parking because it was irrelevant to him. What was relevant to him was I was late. We subsequently brought him into our program, 
and he did amazingly well. He was no longer on his opioids. He was able to overcome his cannabis use disorder. He did amazingly well in the program, and he eventually became a personal trainer and was working. There are very few things in life that you can be a part of to see that happen. And just being able to be there and witness that transformation from just like almost rock bottom to be able to bring yourself back from that through uh, these treatments and yeah. this, uh, this program. The majority of the credit goes to him. He was yeah. an incredibly motivated, focused guy who was part of the J2F force when he signed up as an 18-year-old. And that same commitment, skills, dedication is what he took to get himself out of the problem he was in. So these programs work. That's why the article that was published in 2012 looked at 45 countries. These programs work. And it's an honor and a privilege, frankly, for me to be the CEO of the Center of Excellence. And it's an honor and privilege to look after pain patients, especially veterans. An amazing opportunity that you have to be able to work hands-on with veterans through their chronic pain and their issues, and a humbling experience and an honorable experience. So what would you say is your favorite part about being able to be in that opportunity? In my particular role, the best thing is I get to work in teams. So in the in the two areas that I work in, one is as the present CEO of the Center of Excellence. I get to work with amazing people in this office, in the city, and across the country because, you know, there's an African proverb that says, if you want to run fast, you run along. But if you want to run far, run with others. So we're able to do a lot more if we can figure out a way of collaborating and building teams. That's one part of what what I like about my job. The second one is I love to be part of an interdisciplinary team. I have huge respect for our physiotherapist, our psychologist, our occupational therapist, our dietitian, our social worker, and the administrative staff. I could not treat these people on my own. They would not succeed on my own. They would succeed because in both environments, I work with a team. It's a, it's a great thing to be able to work as a team. And I, I love that proverb you used is, is basically just essentially, you know, uh, faster alone, further together. You know, it's um, it's it's a great. It's a, it's always better to be in a team. There's all these different things that you can say. Teamwork is where it actually comes down to. You know, work in advance. Thank you for your service. Well, to have all this wealth of knowledge be placed together rather than going at it alone. Yeah, the, you know, I was fortunate enough to run my own company for 26 years, and I came to realize success is. Working in teams is to focus and allow people to work to their strengths. So as a team, you have to be able to build people with different talents and skills. And that's the only way you succeed. Most sports teams might not win putting a whole bunch of all-stars together, but they will win if you can put people together who can focus on their strengths instead of always sitting on the bench or the sidelines complaining about each other's weaknesses. So part of our role is to build a team, support them, create an environment where they would flourish. And that's my role as CEO. I always say the role of CEO 
is not chief executive officer, but the chief enabling officer. I need to enable people to succeed. If I do that, we will succeed. Yeah, I've def- I've actually never heard that before. It's, it's a very good way to look at uh, the term CEO is in, to enable your employees to do the best they can and achieve what the common goal is rather than just to be sectioned off in your own area and not talk to right. each other. <laughs> I actually really like that. I've never actually heard that before. So would you say uh, you your most of your career has revolved around chronic pain, whether it be civilian life and and chronic pain found in veterans? Do you, after having all this wealth of knowledge and all this experience, what would you say is the best advice you can give for, say, a newly enlisted or long-term service member? Okay, so I think... I think one one of the things that I would say to somebody who's newly enlisted or somebody who's a career officer or somebody who's a veteran is it's extremely important to be able to uh, recognize one's strengths but also recognize one's weaknesses. And when you struggle, there's no shame in asking for help. The problem is if you don't ask for help, nobody knows. And then you spiral down and you make what is the um, acorn into an oak tree. So when I ran my company, I always had the acorn philosophy. Deal with problems when they're acorns. If you don't deal with it, it will become an oak tree. So in chronic pain with people and when when they have an injury, if you don't recognize it and they don't treat it well, it will become a problem down the road. Avoidance is never a good strategy. So for somebody who's uh, enlisting, thank you for enlisting. But if you have a problem, you need to reach out and tell people. And for those who are in a position of leadership, you have to listen to them and treat them. Because if you treat them well, they will not become a chronic problem. That's some amazing advice because there's a very large stigma around asking for help, whether it be in civilian life or in the military. Um, It's a very daunting task to actually open up to somebody about a problem, whether it be, you know, um, an injury suffered on a run or in hockey, uh, say professional leagues, they're they get injured, they just pop some pills and go back out. It's a very, it's a big thing they need, people need to start to get over because instead of dealing with it in the short term, it becomes, as you said, the, the acorn into the oak tree. It's, it, it manifests into a larger problem later on in life. That's, that's a very amazing advice though. And, uh, I hope that if there is somebody out there listening that has an injury or has some sort of thing that they're struggling to, to get help with that they can, they can reach out to somebody after hearing that and start working on themselves and start working on an injury or whatever is wrong so that they're able to get the help they need. I feel extremely blessed and fortunate in my career to have had some great mentors who have taught me a lot, who have overlooked my mistakes, but helped put me back up and given me second chances. But one of the things that I have been doing since uh, 2012 is I've been a corner in the province of Ontario. And usually the role of the coroner is to investigate death. And often when you investigate deaths, you can see there was a problem that nobody identified, but the individual never sought help. 
whether it was mental health issues, struggling to ultimately sadly think their only recourse was to take their own life. And it's very tragic, very tragic. So to your listeners, I can't stress enough. If you are struggling with whatever it is, pain, bullying, mental health, whatever the challenge you're facing, reach out. There are lots of people out there who want to give you a hand up. Don't suffer in silence and don't try to solve it on your own. I, The first thing we did when we were ordered to send the vaccines is I said to the team, I've looked after civilians and I've looked after veterans. When I look after veterans, when you've seen one veteran, you've only seen one veteran. And while veterans have more complicated problems than civilians, each of them has unique challenges. But there is one common thread among all veterans, and that is they have lost hope for a variety of reasons. And so one of the first things we did at the COE was get the domain name, hashtag, keep hope alive. So that's what we want to do. We want vets and students and whoever's listening to your program to know that there is hope and we want to keep hope alive for our vets. Yeah, that's an incredibly important thing to remember, whoever you are and wherever you are in life, any walk of life, that hope is one of the most powerful things in the world. If As long as you hold that hope, things can get better. Very true. Well, Thank you very very much, Dr. Zacharias, for your, your kind words with a lot of experience behind them. Uh, it was very humbling and amazing to talk to you today about this very important topic in our world today. Joel, thank you. It's my honor. And uh, you had indicated that you're thinking of enlisting. Uh, I hope you're successful. And if you do enlist, let me... World today. Joel, thank you. It's my honor. And uh, you had indicated that you're thinking of enlisting. Uh, I hope you're successful. And if you do enlist, let me, in advance, thank you for your service. For everyone listening in, that was Dr. Ramesh Zacharias of the Chronic Pain Center of Excellence. You can listen into the center's webinar titled Veteran and Family Wellbeing Series starting November 18th from 12 to 1 p.m. You can find more information about their upcoming webinar over on our social media. Thanks for listening in to CFRC 101.9 FM. Have a great day, folks. Thank you for listening to The Scoop, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.